This is The Juggernaut Interviews, and I'm Snigba Sur. In this series, I'm talking to South Asian founders who have gone out and raised funding at different stages of their journey. I'm a founder who's raised venture capital myself, so I know what questions to ask and answer. I'm here not just to learn from others, but also to explain how they make the tough calls. I started The Juggernaut, a media company that tells South Asian stories, because I was tired of reading the occasional news story about us. I wanted there to be more, and not just about the usual suspects. So what you'll hear on this show is exactly that, stories of founders who are not the usual suspects. Founders who prove that the myth that the crazy startup dude genius founder is that, a myth. Today's episode is with Deepak Chagani, founder of Nuva Cargo. Deepak's story is a great example of the diversity of what it means to be part of the South Asian diaspora. His parents were born in India, but he was born in Kenya and grew up in Ecuador and speaks fluent Spanish. Part of what Deepak has been able to see in Latin America helped inform what would become Nuvo Cargo, a software-powered logistics company. But this isn't his first company. He shut down the lobby after only a few months. I want to find out what a founder goes through when they decide to shut down, how they sense what it's working and when it isn't. Here's my conversation with Deepak. So, Deepak, you were born in Kenya and grew up in Ecuador to parents of Indian descent. So tell me about your kind of, you know, cultural mashup. I often hear you say you'd identify as Latino. So tell us more about that. Both my parents were born and raised in India. My parents in their late 20s, early 30s, left to Ecuador. My dad basically started a small logistics company there. That was kind of an opportunity because he, uh, like most people at that age, was trying to make it in the world. And uh, his cousins and him saw an opportunity if you can go to different countries in the world and you can help retailers in those local countries, in this case, Ecuador, find kind of their reliable suppliers in Asia, people that won't rip you off essentially when you want to buy supplies for things that they that they wanted to sell. So that's why I ended up in Ecuador, which is kind of a weird mix was just born in Kenya because my grandparents were living there on my mom's side when my mom was pregnant with me. And because I spent my whole childhood, young adult life in Latin America and Ecuador, I identify more with the culture there, you know, spent from zero to 17 years of age there. And then when I went to college in the US was still hanging out with Latin Americans the whole time, it felt like home. That's kind of why I identify more as Latin American, but the Indian roots are very strong. And my parents would scold me in Hindi and, uh, and I went to India every summer growing up. It's, it's a weird mix, but definitely more on the Latin American side. How did your dad know Ecuador, right? That wasn't a typical destination totally. for many Indian migrants. It's not. And, and I'll, I've mentioned this in other kind of public forums. There actually are thriving Indian communities in Peru, in Panama. Ecuador is really not a place where there's thriving Indian communities. And so my dad was actually working for an uncle in Panama at the time, who said, hey, come here, you know, we're doing this business where we help Panamanian retailers find suppliers in Asia. And after working at that for like six months a year, like my dad is still a Panamanian resident because of the time he spent doing that. And then his uncle said, you can either keep working for me or you can start your own company in Ecuador and help some of our clients do this in Ecuador. And he, being kind of ambitious, decided to go to Ecuador. It was much closer in Panama to Ecuador than India to Ecuador. So it was a little bit less random, but even the Panama piece is kind of random because one of his uncles was, was there and said, you should come and check it out. There's a lot of opportunity here. I love that. Um, and then let's kind of segue into your current business, which has multiple roots to both your father's history and your history. So you're the founder and CEO of Nuvo Cargo. Can you tell the audience what 
your startup does? In a nutshell, we help other businesses. So we're a B2B company. We help them move physical products between the United States and Latin America. And today we focus exclusively on US-Mexico trade, which is the biggest trade lane in the world. And that process of moving, you know, a truckload or dozens of truckloads of goods between the US and Mexico has anywhere from seven to 15 different stakeholders. It's super analog, intimidating. It involves different currencies, different laws from different countries, different languages. And we try to be an all-in-one solution to help customers move their goods and deal with everything they might need from that process. And then we add software to that entire experience to give them kind of more visibility, more transparency, and just a more pleasant experience than what exists today in the industry, which is essentially a lot of emails, faxes, phone calls, and just lack of visibility in general. Before we delve into Nuvo Cargo, I'm going to take a small detour and talk a little bit about the fact that this isn't your first company. So before Nuvo Cargo, there was something else. So basically, in the winter of 2018, I got into a YC with a company called The Lobby. And The Lobby was essentially a recruiting service, if you want to think of it that way. It was a marketplace where if I'm a, an aspiring job applicant, I want to get into investment banking, I want to get into tech, but I don't have any connections to get into those industries. The Lobby created a marketplace where you could go online, you could purchase a 30-minute phone call uh, with someone who has worked inside that company or that team. And the idea was that you could get advice on your resume, you could do mock interviews. And it was kind of a poetic concept in the sense, or really altruistic concept in the sense where we felt that would help democratize access to insights that you typically only have if you go to, you know, really top schools or your fraternity brothers and sorority sisters, they've already been in those companies, they know all the tricks for the recruiting process or how to prepare for case studies. And so I personally graduated from a non Ivy League school. And I got a job in investment banking at B of A Merrill Lynch. It was pretty lucky. It's actually because it was the Latin America group and they wanted people who spoke Spanish. But I was able to meet other Latin Americans who mentored me into that job. And then I started doing that for a lot of people. And Y Combinator's advice was, you know, solve your own problems or try to productize things where you have solved problems. And so that was my attempt to do that. And so built the lobby, got into YC, raised a little over a million dollars. But then six months after all that, realized it was a really bad idea with a very bad business model. And so two years and like three months ago, made a pretty big pivot to what is now Nouveau Cargo, right? You are the type of person who sets ambitious goals for themselves and their companies. So when did you realize, hey, it's, it's time to pull the plug? I think that Y Combinator was a huge catalyst in many ways because it went from me being alone in a WeWork in New York to actually being part of a community of people that were in similar stages, trying to launch things, trying to grow. And so I think that as Y Combinator wrapped up and re-raised the money, I felt like, okay, we've now built the core product, which is essentially going to a website, picking the different people you could speak with and scheduling phone calls. We had done a lot of manual work to try to grow because as you know, Snake the YC is, you know, they're trying to get you to grow as fast as possible. And I, and I think that's a good thing because it's a forcing function. If your core product isn't gonna change that much, and this is the thing you're going to scale with. And at some point, it should be growing quite quickly after you try a bunch of different things. And so after we raised the money and came back to New York and got after some of that like post-YC hangover or whatever, I, I, I realized that the numbers were dropping and it wasn't the growth wasn't really sustaining. But I said, hey, it's, it's been me alone now that we have money. I'm going to try all these things that I couldn't try before. 
And so just started trying a bunch of different things. We redesigned our website, our funnel. We tried Campus Ambassador Program. We had like a list of 15 different initiatives now with a team that we tried, even like this huge redesign because we thought it might be a problem that our website is just built in a really crappy way. And then I think in the summer of 2018, I said, if we're not doing something like 50 or 60,000 in monthly revenue by the end of the year, then this idea is probably not going to work. And I think by October, we knew we were nowhere near on track to that. And so I let our eight employees go and then made the decision to pivot because I felt like I was on, I was dangerously on track to like waste my time. And I feel like time is the most valuable thing in the world. And we still have a lot of the investors money. And I had the energy and the naivete to say, if we just pick something new right now, you know, the best companies in a year or two are just destroying it and, and, and doing really well. And I said, I'd rather spend the next year or two getting a new idea to that place than pushing this one uphill when I know it's not going to work. I think that takes a bunch of humility and awareness. Like, you know, there could have been a path where you're like, okay, like the startup didn't work. I'm going to return the money or now I'm going to join another startup or join the, you know, return to the corporate world. But no, you decided to start a completely new business. This wasn't just a pivot like, oh, we're going from the lobby to like another kind of marketplace that's focused on people. You literally went into a B2B business breaking into logistics, right? It's a very different business. So tell me about that. How did you come up with Nuvo Cargo? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And I think the answer is not necessarily what, it might not be consistent with what you read about all the startup blogs online. And I'm actually very proud of that because I feel like a lot of what I had to do was untrain myself from the advice online. Like all this advice, even the YC that changed my life of like, the only way to build a business is to solve your own problems and this and that. It, it was really stressful because at, at the time, I think I was like 25 or about to turn 26. And I was like, well, the only real problem, the really real big problem I solved for myself was getting this uh, this job or others or all these like college problems like food delivery or like all these things. And, and I feel like that advice is a little bit outdated of like just solve your own problems. If you're a young person in your mid-20s, uh, there's only so many problems you've had, I, I think. And a lot of the people building startups are solving a lot of those same problems. So I think the hard part for me was looking around at my YC bat, seeing the companies that were really exploding and realizing that most of them are not doing ideas that would be considered incredibly innovative. It's like a new take on something that has existed. Oh, this is like a new bank or a new insurance company or a new this or a new that. And that was an interesting insight for me because one thing is reading about blog posts online where everyone wants to tell you the Airbnb story about how they didn't pay their rent and because they didn't pay their rent, boom, it's like a hundred billion dollar company. And that's like one in, in many, but then being in, in our YC batch, it just changed so much. And I started telling myself, like I kind of forcefully picked that other idea because it was the only one that checked all these boxes from the blog posts online versus is this really a great business? And am I, am I really uniquely suited to solve it? Like, yes, I was one of the few that got this job in banking, but like every year there's 600 people that are getting jobs in banking. Like, I don't know how much of a barrier to entry that is. When I decided to pivot, I literally made a matrix of like, what are my unfair advantages as a founder? What are these really big markets that I would want to go after? Because the problem with the lobby is the business model and the market were kind of like not, they weren't really attractive to build venture back companies. And I had this whole method that if you want, I'll go through, but it was essentially researching ideas and finding something that I felt was really uniquely suited for me. And, you know, Nouveau Cargo is a business that is across the US and Latin America. You have to know how to build teams in Mexico. You have to speak, I think, really good English and Spanish. You have to have some connection to logistics, which is not a very sexy industry for 
startup people. And I had that with my, with my family. It also happens to be one of the biggest industries in the world. And I just felt that it checked all these little boxes and I knew the business model worked well. So even though I didn't know much about the industry, I naively said, I can figure this out. And thankfully so far it's proven to be true, but definitely hit a ton of roadblocks because I was a complete rookie in the industry versus something else where I might've had more of an insight on the consumer pain or things like that. So many things to unpack there. There's so many things I want to go, but let, let's start with one question that I have, which is, sure. do you think you could have started Nouveau Cargo out the gate or did you need that experience of the lobby to come upon Nouveau Cargo? That, that's a great question. And, and one corollary to that question is a lot of the founders that I mentor, they're asking me, should I go work at another startup? Should I start my own? So the answer is, I really don't know. Maybe in an alternate world, I would have had more exposure to the startup world than I would have chosen something like that out of the gate. But I think that the pressure of, I got into YC, which was like my dream. I had raised money from investors that put my back against the wall. And I was like, there's no way I'm just going to throw in the towel. I want to build a successful company. And it forced me in a very compressed timeline of like 60 or 90 days to choose a new idea and start executing a level of intensity and pressure that maybe I wouldn't have had if I would have just kept waiting for the perfect idea. I just, my personality was I wanted to start something and that's why I started the lobby. And then that's why I didn't want to go get another job. I just wanted to keep going. So I don't know, but but I have to imagine that, you know, whatever path got me here is not the one that would have, another path would have taken me somewhere else, I guess, right? I, I just don't think we can know <laughs> really, right? You know, I personally know you've done a lot of things differently than the lobby. Yeah. What did you, what did you set out to do differently this time? Because there's a lot here. It's an industry that your, you know, your dad was familiar with. It's an industry that you have advantages of. It's an industry that you know from the outset is a large market, even though it might not be sexy. What did you do differently this time? The biggest benefit of doing YC is they teach you the value of speed and urgency for startups. And so I think that's the thing that we did best was, okay, if we're going to make this pivot, we're not going to be like a zombie startup for a year or hovering around and we said, we're going to be aggressive. We know that this business model works and the way to learn is to get customers. And even if everything's manual at first, we have to start moving the goods and helping them with it and learning about the processes. And so they were just very aggressive goals. So like, I think I picked the idea February of 2019, March, we literally acquired a company <laughs> with licenses and, and a handful of customers that were moving goods from China to US. Then we killed that revenue and, and started moving goods between the US and Mexico in August. My co-founder joined me in April or March. I'd been trying to recruit CTOs forever from before. So that's another one where that definitely wouldn't have happened without the lobby experience. And we were moving goods and making money by the middle of the year. And then we were just started focusing again on the YC of like, just grow and learn and be clever about like, what, what's the product roadmap? What do we need to automate? But it was very much more like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Because I was now optimizing for my life and my time. And I said, I also need to know if this is going to work in a year. Otherwise, I will change or, or shut down because this is too forced. So I think that by month eight or something, we knew that this could be a really good business. Ever since then, I my PTSD of the pivot was slowly going away. And it just became more and more fun as the business started working. And then we raised more money. And then you know now we've raised like $17 million. We're like 50 people, two years and something later. And it's just been really rewarding to see all that play out, even though a lot of people... We're like, this is the wrong approach. This is not how you choose ideas. But, you know, I, I respect the hustle. Basically, that's what everyone would say. When did you realize like, hey, Nuva Cargo is it? 
like this is working like and you also created a founder which was different we didn't talk about that but the lobby you were a solo founder i was a solo non-technical founder didn't know anything about software or tech either the fact that yc funded me that way that was like a, a real dream come true and i think that opened a lot of doors when did i know I, I i do think it was something around the summer of 2019 it was like three or four months in where we had bought the company. My style was just like a lot of conversations with industry experts and going to conferences and this and that. I just saw so much opportunity and, and similar companies in other geographies with this model. And I just knew that if I don't do this, someone else will. And there was some point in the summer of 2019 where I was like, we even found out of a couple companies that are kind of competitive. And we said, one of us is going to be huge and I, and I want it to be us. And there was a point where it shifted from will this work to like, how do we get there as fast as possible, right? So it seems like you saw a lot of evidence in the market. You saw competitors out yeah. there. You're like, okay, we're onto something. With the lobby, just to be very clear, there are big competitors, but they're really, really large. There aren't many startup competitors. There aren't really competitors. Sorry to cut you off. Like companies that do that like B2C marketplace that's paid and they scale with that revenue stream, we couldn't find anyone. And that was part of my research. I, I found four seed stage startups that raised money with that idea and they all pivoted or fizzled out. And that was proof. Whereas with what we're doing, you can look at companies in India, US, Europe that are quite large, Series B, C, D companies. And, and we knew that that was enough for us to be like, this can get really large with this model, but very few people are going to do it in Latin America or with our specific approach because of my cultural background and our team. So let's talk about that. So you know there are competitors in other parts of the world. I think there might be startups in the same market, but... For you, that was a good sign. You're like, okay, I see competitors. This is great. I can crush them. So tell us about that process in your head because that's yes. not very intuitive for first time. Yeah, founders. totally. I think that's a that's an incredibly powerful point. I'm lucky now to you know mentor a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of them when they're picking their idea, they will come to me and send me like a TechCrunch article of someone that raised five or 10 million and be like, well, that's it. I can't do this idea anymore. Someone else has it. And I literally tell them, you should be thinking the exact opposite thing. This is like a validator, at least some kind of validator of your market. You don't know. It could be a company that's like complete smoke and mirrors and like they got funded with nothing. But more often than not, the venture capital model is very milestone based. And if someone has been around for a couple of years and they're raising five, 10, 20 million dollars for an idea, it's probably because it's working and it's achieving the metrics that you would want anyways for you to say that I built a successful business, even if it's a small one. And so when I see that, I more advise people if you're doing an idea that you have high conviction will work. As long as your competitors aren't the exact same ones and they haven't raised like a billion dollars or half a billion dollars, you're probably still going to build a successful company. When I was pivoting and I had nothing, if you would have told me your company's only going to be worth like a hundred million dollars, you would still take that as a mid twenties, first time entrepreneur. But then when you go down the VC path, you have to make sure there's like a multi-billion dollar outcome. Otherwise you don't raise at the valuations we raise, right? So I actually think when there's no one who's ever built a big business doing what you're doing, that's scary to me because you you either are one company that's creating an entire industry, which happens, but is incredibly rare, or you know that it works and there's competition and you carve out your niche or you take a different approach or you destroy them to your point, right? Uh, because you out execute them, you know how to raise capital. Why do you think Nuvo Cargo will win? Because, you know, so many VCs have different theories for success. One of them, it's the founder. So Deepak, is it because of you? Is it because of the market? It's pulling this great idea out of there. There's so many blog posts and literature and heavy debate on Twitter. Why do you think Nuvo Cargo will win? 
in a nutshell, for those who don't know, logistics is this trillion-dollar industry that's pretty offline or pretty analog. It's having this transition and it's going digital. There's many ways to play a role in being digital. We believe and what we've studied in our geographies is if you can be kind of this full stack player, you're not just a SaaS company, you actually help customers, you move their goods, and then you build software around that entire experience, all the interactions with your customers, with the trucking companies, with the warehouses or all the vendors that help you import export products. Like that model seems to work really well. And so the reason that we think we'll win is because if you believe that trade is going digital and that that model is the right one, then there's only going to be a handful of companies that get really large with the startup model in every geography or every trade lane. Like a lot of people don't know this. Flexport is now, you know, we've heard rumors that they're a five, $10 billion company just unannounced. And that company still has a very small market share of the US-China trade lane, which is what they do. And so we believe that for US-Mexico, which is now an even bigger trade lane, we are on track to be number one. And that is easily a five to $10 billion outcome, if not more. And you still have less than 1% of the market. So just with that information, if I was talking to a VC, it's like, you just have to believe that I can do, we can do that with this company. And, and why in this specific geography, US, Mexico, you need to understand Latin America, you need to know how to do business out there, you need to have build teams, uh, you need to be passionate about it, because dealing with Mexico is not easy, if you have nothing to do with it. So I just feel like if you keep adding on, who can be excited about logistics, tackle this market, understand Latin America and the US, understand raising venture capital, like there's so many different filters that I think I as a founder embody, and now the team we've built embodies, that I would not want to be our competitor in what we're doing. So initially I thought where you were going was, it's like, it's the market. That's why we're going to win. But we're ending with this idea <laughs> that, hey, it's human capital. That's why we're going to win. I, I, th I think it's both, right? This market just doesn't attract that much startup talent. And you need to be excited about what we're doing. And I think the team that we've built, the approach we're taking, there's just going to be less startup competition. And the main competition is incumbents, and they've been around for 100 or 200 years. And we think that there's just a lot you can do in a more modern way. So I think it's a combination of, of the two. The market dynamics make it really attractive. And I think the team we've built lets us tackle it in a very unique way. What does your dad think about this business? <laughs> so when I, when I started, he, he thought I was crazy. He said, why are you going to go be this logistics broker? These companies are all commoditized. They do nothing differently. They're all about price. And, and he almost like always wanted me to go to the US and get an education so I could be a banker or a lawyer or whatever. And it was hilarious to him that I'm going to start a company and now it's gonna be in, in logistics. So at first he found it funny, but then the more he learned about our approach, the more he saw you know, other companies and their geographies getting really large, he, he just started getting excited, right? And again, he has, he's my dad, right? So he believes everything I say, he, he's very proud no matter what. So I don't know if he ever had like a critical lens. But when we started, he definitely was like, are you sure you want to go into this like crappy analog offline market? And, and that's exactly why I wanted to. But he didn't understand that because he doesn't come from the startup world where you're trying to find opportunities where other people haven't seen them. Last question. What does success mean to you, Deepak? So for Nuvo Cargo, I think that we have an opportunity to build one of the biggest companies in the world tackling the logistics market with a fresh, modern startup mindset where technology is at the core of everything we do and also just a much better employer especially in mexico and latin america we think we can build a company where people come they build real skills not only in logistics but on the technology front 
They use the state-of-the-art tools. They learn how to serve customers in a very unique way. And I think that moves the industry forward and Mexico and Latin America forward. So that's at, at the Nouveau Cargo level. And I think we're on our way to doing that, but it's, it's, it's going to take a long time, as most startups do, I think. And then on a personal level, getting very philosophical, I'm just trying to live a good life, do good work. And, and you know what I'm doing now, I think I have an obligation to do things with Latin America. It's the region that brought me up. So I, I like that Nouveau Cargo is a vehicle for that. I want to have good relationships with my my fiance, my my friends, my family, and and as long as I do that and stay healthy, I think that's that's success and a good life. And you know, obviously, making enough money to enjoy the world in in whatever state it is. And uh, anything else you want to leave with your audience or like other founders who might be listening in in the future? Anything else that we didn't get to cover or wish you wish I'd asked you? No, I mean, I would just say, you know, being a founder is super hard. It's also very in vogue and in fashion now, you know, for people that are really in the fight, I would just say, keep fighting the good fight. The The lows are low, but the highs are very high. For everything we discussed, my, my biggest advice to people is just make sure that you're not wasting your time and that you're spending your time on something that the journey is exciting and interesting and and you're not just doing it because it's cool to build a startup unless your obsession is to build a company. Some people are just doing it Instead of doing an internship at Apple, and uh, there's consequences to failing as an entrepreneur mentally. So I would just ask people to take care of themselves and make sure that this is what they want to be doing. Deepak Chagani is the founder of Nuvo Cargo. Next week, I'll be talking to Naomi Shah, founder and CEO of MeetCute, a rom-com media company. If you like this show, please subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this. And share it with someone who you think would love to hear Deepak's story. Natalia Alcantara produced this series, Golda Arthur is our showrunner, and Josh Sheng is our sound engineer. Sahil Ansari composed our theme music, and Minna Shoab created our art. Thanks for listening. <laughs>